Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, comic books, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, I'm Brian? I'm doing pretty good, and of course, this is our 12th episode of Rocket Ship Roulette, and we... In the honor of the season right now, mid-January, have a spooky movie for you. Two spooky movies to be spooky? exact. Of course it is. That's when Halloween is, Chris, don't you know? No. Anyways, <laughs> so if you're unfamiliar, Rocket Ship Roulette is the segment on this podcast, which happens every other week, bi-weekly, in the one definition of the word, not twice a week, where we watch random movies that are chosen from a giant 100-notch wheel that is spun and we can then pick two movies, and then we choose which one to watch. Now, if it's a prequel, sequel, or remake, we have mm. to watch it. And the amount of prequel, sequels, or remakes that are on the board that make up the 100 notches, that is the hazard meter. And if that basically tells us what the danger amount is, that if we spin, we'll land on something we have to watch, basically. That is for the deep nerd lore stuff. <laughs> and if you'll remember, speaking of deep nerd lore stuff, in the last episode, I was transported to a red planet, which happens to have an extension cord and a television, so we will be watching more movies. And the two films that we have set up for today are The Old Dark House and the musical The Devil's Carnival. So, Chris, what movie do you want to talk about first? Let's start with The Old Dark House. It's first in my notes. Um... It is also way earlier than The Devil's Carnival. Yes. It comes from the 1930s. It's directed by James Whale, I believe. Hold on, let's yes. why. Yes. Um, and it stars Boris Karloff, and you may know him as he was a famous actor in many Universal yeah. Monster movies. And also, it is um, really funny. That's one of the things yeah. that surprised me, was how snappy the dialogue is consistently throughout this film. Yeah, it's like, it almost feels like... Um, so this so this kind of, um, in many ways, was influential to the aesthetic of a lot of haunted house movies yes but in many ways kind of feels like the first parody of a haunted house movie um, yeah in certain spots uh well the characters are very vibrant and they bounce off each other and they don't talk like 
characters from the 1930s usually talk. There's not this yeah. melodrama about love and all that nonsense. Well, well maybe a little, little bit, bit at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but in the beginning, we're introduced to two characters that are in a relationship, Philip and Margaret, and they are in the mud driving their car, and they get stuck several times with their friend Penderall in the back. And Philip and Margaret just immediately start sniping at each other. Like, like I love that I have to drive to the mud. I'm having such a great time. <laughs> it, it is just hilarious to hear, like, realistic dialogue coming from a 1930s film. Because usually that's not something that you get. Uh, and yeah. in the back of their car is their friend Penderell, who is a silly World War I veteran that basically never really left the war and is kind of nihilistic about everything. Uh, so their map is too wet to read, and a landslide mm. covers their exit, which is some Evil Dead 2 shit right there. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> now, Boris Karloff uh, opens the door to an old dark house they come across. They knock on the door, and he plays this character named Morgan. And yes. Morgan is a dumb brute. I say dumb not in the mean sense, but in the sense that he cannot talk. Uh, and, well, he is also kind of stupid. Yeah! <laughs> And this film uses shadows very well, and it's black and white photography. Oh, I, excellent! It's very gothic, and it, it's very uh, all, yeah. Spooky. All all of you who are just uh, who you know, because uh, you know this is somewhat relevant because the, uh, the this past Friday, uh, at the time of this recording, the first two episodes of Wandavision came out. Both of those were in black and white. So, of mm -hmm. all y'all people, uh, starting to get a feel for grayscale from that. Want a bit of a history lesson? You can go watch this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Relevant. So, <laughs> they are greeted by Horace Femme, who is probably my favorite character in this entire movie, because he is this old, curmudgeonly, butlerish man. And even when murders are happening around him and things go to shit, he seems to have no gauge of any actual danger. He's just constantly like, Would you like a potato? He, throughout several times in this film, very aggressively asks you if you want a potato. <laughs> he wants and it. It's like the one thing on his mind. And when he, everyone nearly gets murdered, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry about all that trouble. As if they, like, I don't know, ended up, like, soiling their clothes or something. In yeah, the or, like, or, or, like, or, like, broke up, <laughs> like, broke a vase or whatever. Yeah. So he throws some flowers into the fire <laughs> passive-aggressively because, like, oh, I guess I need to make a fire now. <laughs> Boris Karloff is Morgan. And, uh, yeah. And Rebecca Femme, who is Horace's sister, introduces herself, and she is a really mean bitch who is hard of hearing. Yeah. Now, Rebecca says that they can't stay. And Horace no bags! <laughs> no no bags. bags! So Horace is frightened by their talk of a landslide outside, and his sister mocks him for this. Now, Horace tells them... That they can stay, but there are no beds. So the three are like, alright, that's fine. And they bring their stuff inside. And there's a lot of really funny moments where Rebecca, like, is misunderstanding people or can't understand <laughs> what they're saying. Yes. Uh, so Horace asks them if they want to join him for a drink of gin. <laughs> because and Horace really likes gin. <laughs> he loves gin. And Horace guesses correctly that Penderall <laughs> is a slightly crazy war veteran. Yes. Now... Horace warns them that Morgan will likely drink and is violent when he does so. And this is a setup for yeah, later on. Yeah, this is foreshadowing. And the set decoration is very creepy throughout this film. There's, like, candles everywhere. It's, I just love everything about the way this movie looks. Rebecca tells, her, Rebecca tells Margaret about her sister and how she died after falling off a horse. That sister being Rachel. And we find out more about her yeah. later also. 
Now we get a distorted image of Rebecca and all these reflections as she tells the story, and it's it's very impressionistic, and I like it a lot. Yeah. And she tells the wife about how her father used to bring women to the house and how he's 102 years old and still lives upstairs. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and she's like, your beauty will fade. <laughs> and it's very interesting. I've seen some people say that the old dark house has LGBT subtext with how Rebecca interacts mm. with Margaret. Like, she's some sort of repressed lesbian. Because she <laughs> comments on the fact that she's attractive a lot in this movie and seems to <laughs> really fucking hate her. So I think Jealous that interpretation bitch. might be true. Um, well, I mean so that might just well, I mean that might just be a a jealous bitch thing. Jealous it, bitches. Yeah. So the three go to the table for supper, and Rebecca accuses Horace of blaspheming for not saying grace, <laughs> and Horace turns to one of them and says, "Would you have a potato? <laughs> Would you have a potato?" <laughs> And someone else knocks on the door and we get introduced to more characters. Morgan lets them in and another man yeah. and a woman enter. The man yeah. is a jovial man named William. Yeah, William Porterhouse. Who is actually just a friend of Gladys. And this gets into the LGBT subtext also because he is referred to as gay in the sense to of be, being okay. happy. Yeah, but to, you know that again. has a double meaning, you know. Was, was also, gay... Well, okay, was gay a term for homosexual by this point in history? It was ever since the 1920s. That's the first known uh, occurrence of that usage. Mm. Now, it's a, it's a double meaning when they say it, and it might be interesting, or it may just be people reading too much into the film. <laughs> but William, throughout the film, is never possessive over Gladys, or never really shows much romantic interest in, in her. I, it's it's more like they're like a friend type deal and that he's just kind of a lonely dude, you know, and that leads to. Yeah, some he just to seems interpret. to just want companionship. I don't think right. he cares about sexual. Maybe he's ace. He could maybe, be. Yeah, maybe he just doesn't care about sexual relationships and just wants friends. Regardless, that's, that's possible. The, the characters oh. in this film do uh, transgress certain norms for storytelling and like gender roles in film. Uh, more yeah. than other films t tend to do. So there is that that can be said. Now, Morgan lets them in. The man, uh, yeah. So Gladys dances around in oversized shoes. Yes. Because her shoes were wet. I love really... Gladys's enthusiasm. Gladys is my favorite, is my other favorite character in this movie. Gladys is great. Yeah. Yeah. William starts singing, which is ended by Horace's threatening invitation to potato eating. Yeah. He's like, would you have a potato? And what he really means is stop fucking singing. Isn't, isn't this also the point where Horace says he's wanted by the police? Yes. So Horace asks if they can believe that he's wanted by the police. And this is one of the few plot threads we never get explained to us. Now, William and Penderel contrast each other's characters and how, you know, Penderel is somebody that doesn't uh, try anything and how William is someone that tries 100% at everything that he does. And Gladys reveals her real name's actually Perkins. Yes. And uh, now Rebecca tells them that Morgan has started drinking again. And I, yeah. this is the point where I started to realize that the film comes off less like other movies in its era than more like an elaborate stage play. Yeah, I could I could very easily see this being a stage show. Yeah, if you could just create a, a stage platform with at least two elevations for the ground scenes and then the scenes in the upstairs, I could definitely see this yeah, being which like is a one not, location. Yeah, which play. is not overly difficult to do. Like, right. I, like pr productions I was involved in in school were able to do things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So, Gladys is Old Dark House become, on Broadway. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So, Gladys is starting to be infatuated with Penderol, and he goes out to the car to grab some whiskey. Now, Perkins is trapped outside and sees Morgan drinking and is frightened by this, and she believes someone shut the door on her intentionally outside. Meanwhile, uh, Penderol comes up to him, comes up to her, and is like, "Hey, your shoes are wet again. Let me change your shoes." Uh, now, Philip and Horace go upstairs to get a lamp, and the lamp is a very important plot point in this movie because he tells Philip where to find the lamp, but he doesn't want to go up there because of scary things that are up there, mainly Saul, who we learn about later. Yes. And he gets the lamp, but then sees a padlocked door with food outside of it. Now, Margaret makes shadow puppets while Will goes to shut a window. And Margaret is attacked by Rebecca and then Morgan. And she escapes up the stairs to where Philip is. And Philip and Morgan fight. Now, Philip throws the lamp at Morgan's head, sending him falling down the stairs. And obviously now they're all very shaken by this. And a table is overturned. And Penderel and Perkins talk in the car about William. And she's like, oh, William doesn't actually, uh, you know, love me like that. He's actually very nice, and he'll take it very well. And Perkins reveals that she has feelings for Penderel, and he asks to love her in a very romantic scene. Yeah. He's like, I want to love you. Yeah, and she's like, okay. <laughs> Gladys X Penderel, OTP. Yeah. <laughs> so they kiss and make plans about their future. Now, William, or Bill, who has been asleep, lets in Penderel and Perkins. Now, Perkins tells William that they love each other and bill takes it pretty well bill is very chill about this he's like okay he's like okay he's kind of sad that he's gonna like probably not hang out with her as much but he's like all right sure you know whatever it's fine so philip enters the room and sees the 102 year old man who's actually played by a woman interestingly yeah roger yeah i i figured as much because he has Mm -hmm. a very feminine voice i guess because the one sort of track that i was thinking about with this movie is that so their so their family name is fem yeah but there's a surprisingly but there isn't really a lot of gender politics given that like oh uh, well fem well i i don't think fem was necessarily meant to be a, a gender thing i think they were just trying to think of a weird last name well i mean I, I i mean i know but you know it's kind if of we want to really overanalyze the movie, if maybe. You, it, it's kind of impossible not to make the connection, is the mm-hmm. thing. Well, I mean, they are a highly dysfunctional traditional family. That's true. And in a way that would go on to influence things like Psycho and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously. So maybe the maybe that is sort of playing into the idea of the, the man that is played by a woman. I mean, Horace also is a very emasculated uh, leader of the household. He gets yelled at all the time by Rebecca. (laughs) They constantly bicker. He has close to no control over anything that happens. Okay, maybe maybe there are maybe maybe there are more gender politics than I realized. <laughs> yeah, there there might be subversive gender politics and elements going on here. Remember, this is pre the Hayes Code. Yeah, so that's true. So, so this was the Wild West. Movies yeah. could do fucking anything. <laughs> right. So they thought they heard the one hundred two year old man calling, so that's why they entered the room. And he apologizes for Morgan. Now he explains that two of his children died when they were twenty and was murdered by Saul. And he is afraid of his eldest son, Saul, who is, quote, the worst, and yes. he wants to kill. He is behind the padlocked door. And he thinks that Morgan might open the, his door uh, if he gets drunk enough. 
Yes. And then Horace is like, someone's opened the door. It's probably Morgan. And then everyone's like, shit. Oh, shit. So Uh Morgan comes down the stairs and attacks them. And Rebecca tells them to bring him into the kitchen. And the men lock him in the kitchen. But this also leads to him, the two men, getting locked in the kitchen also. Now, Penderel hides the women in a cupboard. And Saul comes down the stairs and says, I'm not mad. They killed my sister Rachel and then they blamed it on me. Yeah. And then he uh, tells Penderel a story about fire and picks up a knife and quickly proves that he was actually lying and did kill his sister and is actually crazy. Flames (laughs) are like knives. (laughs) They're cold. Uh, So Saul tells him about fire and Saul was lying, obviously, and is clearly insane. And I like the scene where uh, I think it's, I like the scene where Penderol goes back for the, the poker and he's like, you think you could trick me by backing up? <laughs> <laughs> no. Penderol, uh, so now what happens is Saul attacks Penderol and tries to burn down the house. Yes. And Penderol and him fight and fall off the banister. And this leads to Penderol dying. Not Penderol. This leads to Saul dying. Yeah. Now Morgan breaks free and opens the cupboard where the girls were hiding. And Saul is dead now. And they're like, look, Morgan, look about Saul, your brother Saul. And he's like, Saul? I can't and then he cries Saul over his brother. <laughs> and it, it's like a Frankenstein moment. It's where you feel bad for the brutish monster. Yes. Uh, it's very good. So William and Philip break free, and they find out that Penderol is alive, despite falling 20 feet from the banister. Now, the next morning, Horace greets them and tells them the flood has subsided, and Philip and Margaret go to the, go to summon an ambulance for Penderol. Penderol wakes up and proposes to Gladys, just like he promised to, the very next morning. They kiss. Aww. The end. Isn't so, that Chris, nice? What did you think of the old dark house? This is really good. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's paced well. It's it's short, which is helpful. Yes. Um, the cast is great. You know, there's a lot of snappy dialogue, um, good action, great cinematography and set design. I will say it feels like a bit too much of a slow burn at points, which is weird considering it's short. Um, but, you know, given everything else, it's it's hard to harp on that too much. Yeah, I would agree with all of that statements. Uh, I'd say the acting is incredible, especially Boris Karloff. Yes. Uh, but across the board, all the actors do a tremendous job. The director is brilliant in this film. He makes this house look absolutely disturbing. And besides that, also, the dialogue has the snappy quality to it, like you mentioned, which I think is almost kind of a precursor to what would be seen in the 1940s with films directed by Howard Hawks, like The Thing from Another World, where there's just a dialogue a second and stuff like that. Not that fast, but, you know, that kind of idea, I think. It also comes off, I think, kind of quirky in a way that probably influenced a lot of directors without them noticing it. Like, uh, probably the Coen brothers, a bunch of other people. Coen brothers, Tarantino, like that whole, like, set of Mm -hmm. You know, Coen Brothers, Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, um, James Gunn, even, you could lump into that. Fun dialogue is yes. what this movie is surprisingly all about. Yeah! It is the glue that holds it together, and the characters are all wonderful and fully fleshed out, and I really, really like The Old Dark House. And Chris, I think we should go on to talk about The Devil's Carnival. Oh my fucking god, this mo- I. This is gr- <laughs> this movie 
is fucking beautiful. <laughs> so, first off, I feel like this is a movie that needs to be explained a little bit. <laughs> there is a, definitely a, a very specific context in which this movie was made. So, Darren Lynn Bowsman, who is the director of Saw 2, 3, and 4, many other horror films, uh, he ended up making... Um, sorry. So Darren Limbausman, the director of Saw 2, 3, and 4, and now also Spiral from the Book of Saw, so he'll have directed four of them, and a bunch of other horror films, he uh, entered into filmmaking with Saw 2, which was originally a script that was not even related to the franchise, but the producer said it was too much like Saw 1, and then we're like, but wait, what if it was a Saw film? And from there, he basically carved out this niche of ultra-gritty dark horror films that polarized audiences in the sense that critics hate it and horror fans usually like his films and he was basically the architect of the entire saw franchise two three and four establishing all of the traits that made it what it is the complex chronology and stuff like that and then he ended up and saw three he didn't want to direct another one and he basically wanted to produce a off-broadway musical he had seen once with, <laughs> with uh, music by Terrence Zudnick. Now, this ended up being Repo, the genetic opera. And they said, okay, we'll finance your weird art project if you make Saw 4. So he made Saw 4, and then Repo, the genetic opera came out, and we both love Repo, right? Yes, Repo it's is like, fantastic. It's oh. a new metal rock opera about a dystopian future where organ repossession is legal. Basically, if, if y'all want to just a taste of what repo is like just look up the little glass vial song and yeah if, and if you are not convinced to watch the movie just on that then i don't trust you it has paris hilton bill mosley paul servino who shows up in this film also alexa vega the girl from spy kids that also shows up in this film now they wanted to make a sequel to repo and they realized that lionsgate would not let them because the first one was such a box office bomb and Which Terrence is too Zudnick, bad, because it's a, yeah. an amazing movie. Uh-huh. It is. And Terrence Zudnick then went to Darren Lynn Bowsman and said, okay, they're not going to let us make another Repo film, but I have this idea of a, adapting Aesop's Fables into a devilish carnival atmosphere. And Darren Lynn Bowsman said, okay, we can make that on the cheap, and we can produce this film. And that's how the Devil's Carnival got made, was out of frustration that well, we can't make repo too okay yeah. uh, it's like all right we can't make repo too but what if fables but satan yes give that man a race <laughs> <laughs> now the really big bowsman thing that's in this film and i do think darren lynn bowsman like all artists has trends in his filmography is the character of john who is yeah. constantly seeking out his child. This is actually something that showed up in 2 and 3 of the Saw franchise. Oh my god. It seems to be a recurring theme in his work. Now, we should get into the plot, of course. Yes. So John, a grieving father, slits his wrists after losing his son, and that's not revealed until the end of the film. Yeah, a so thief... basically we see a montage of people in troubled relationships, and we keep hearing about the uh, other about uh, people outside of them wanting said people to open the door like right yeah and uh, there's a thief miss marywood who is killed in her trailer after a shootout with police and tamara a young woman is killed by her angry boyfriend 
and you see there's a theme with all of them. Um, with John and his son, the theme is obviously grief. With Marywood, it's greed. And with Tamara, it is letting men walk all over you. Yes. <laughs> so then they go into the song Heavens All Around, which is beautifully sung by Paul Servino, who played the dictator CEO in Repo, who now plays God, this kind of absent toy maker figure. Oh, yeah, he's the creepy doll maker dude. That's God. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so in Hell, which is a carnival, awesome idea, Lucifer's second-in-command, the Ticket Keeper, rallies the carnies in a big top circus tent and calls out the names of the carnies who will be performing that night for the recent arrivals, the three people that have died. He selects the painted doll, who's played by Emily Autumn. Now, one of our friends, our mutual friends, uh, watched this film as a kid because they were obsessed with Emily Autumn. She's this fantastic singer. And she's done a lot of work in burlesque shows and stuff like that. She's very interesting, and you should check out her work. Uh, Bill Mosley's also in this movie. Sean Patrick Flannery is in this. He was in the film. Uh, he was in the Boondock Saints. <laughs> that film and, that you either love or utterly despise. <laughs> right. And he plays John in this. And also... Alexa Vega comes back, and Nivek Ogre of Five Finger Death Punch plays the homeless man. Wait, what the, fu what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. The guy with the really deep, gravelly voice in uh, A Tale for a Penny, that's a member of uh, Five Finger Death Punch. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, no, wait. No, wait, my bad. So oh. the guy, Ivan Moody, the hobo clown, he's a member of Five Finger Death Punch. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Nivek Ogre is an artist of industrial music. He appeared as Pavi Largo in Repo the Genetic Opera. Ah, I see. You know, the one that wore women's faces. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, he Anyways. selects the painted doll, a mute woman with a cracked face, the twin, a reptilian man with the ability to shapeshift, the hobo clown, and the scorpion, a knife thrower. And by the way, the scorpion looks like evil devil Robbie Rotten. With his plastic hair. I was going to say, he, he he has a 50s haircut. You know what it reminded me of, actually? It it, it reminded me of, um, like, a better-looking version of the Jamie Kennedy incarnation of The Mask. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sorry I have to remind everyone of that, but it's true. <laughs> so the scorpion is absent from the meeting, so the ticket keeper sends Painted Doll to find him. John, Miss Marywood, and Tamara are all awakened, each finding an envelope containing a ticket to enter. While searching for the entrance... <laughs> the envelope that invited them to Smash Brothers. <laughs> yes. While searching for the entrance, John and Miss Marywood bump into each other, and they arrive at the ticket keeper's booth as the carnies welcome them to the song of the Devil's Carnival. You can't can help but fall, Devil's Carnival. <laughs> all of the songs in this film are bangers. Yeah, this whole soundtrack slaps. Oh. Yes. So Ticket Keeper then explains all 666 66. laws I fucking of the love carnival. this song. It's so good. 666 is kind of the time warp of the Devil's Carnival <laughs> in that it comes out of nowhere and is the most recognizable song somehow and also relates to nothing else in the film because everyone constantly breaks the rules. But it's so good. Yeah. So Tamara, wandering in the back of the carnival, finds the scorpion in a cage and he's like, come on, let me out. 
because her whole thing is trusting men that shouldn't be trusted. Yeah. She frees him, and he begins to flirt with her. Meanwhile, John finds himself in the big top tent. Oh, he yeah, and that's when he gets ambushed by the not-Harley Quinns. Yes, and one of them is Alexa Vega, the girl from Spy Kids. I still and... can't believe she's... St- I still can't believe Carmen from Spy Kids is in these movies. Yes. And her three cohorts, the Woe Maidens, and they sing the very short song, Kiss the Girls, which is kind of annoying, but also kind of fun, yeah. in kind of a pop-punky kind of way. So, they vanish suddenly, and John sees the painted doll in a kissing booth, and she offers him Daniel's location in exchange for a kiss, only to bite off his ear, which spontaneously reappears, because again, he is in hell, and there is no logic here. Meanwhile, But littering Daniel... is still bad. <laughs> yes, littering is still bad. Meanwhile, Daniel meets Lucifer, who begins reading him the fables, starting with the dog and her reflection, which I love this song. This is where the movie really gets good for me. Uh, Miss Marywood follows a pamphlet into a dark tent with the intent of finding the large diamond, because her whole thing is greed. Now, the twin has the diamond and promises it to her if she wins the game, and it's like one of those carnival games that's meant to be lost. Yeah, the carnival games that are always rigged, yeah. Yeah. So Marywood, not recognizing her own reflection, loses the game in the song Beautiful Stranger, which is really good. Yeah, I will say that I vastly prefer when the female singer for Beautiful Stranger comes in as opposed to the opening where it has the male voice where it's like, "Mm, I don't know if I'm feeling this. But then once the female singer kicks in, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we get a really kinky scene where she's stripped naked and whipped in front of the carnies while the hobo hobo clown... Ivan Moody from Five Finger Death Punch sings my favorite song, A Penny for a Tail. Oh, yeah. Penny for a Tail is very good. Which is about how a dog is so obsessed with his own reflection, he gathers all these red pennies around him, and then uh, a woman looking for the red pennies... uh, I forget, actually. So it's it's, it's about... No, because the dog is so obsessed with protecting the red pennies that they come across their reflection in the water and assume that it's another dog attempting to steal the pennies, and as a result, they drop the pennies in the water and lose them. Right. Yeah. And I absolutely love his bassy voice in this. Yeah, his baritone is sexy as hell. Yes, it's so good. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) It is, frankly, it it was the moment when I was watching the movie for the first time where I was like, oh yeah, this slaps. the shiny red pennies. (laughs) So Lucifer begins reading Daniel another fable. Oh, also, by the way, I'd like to point out, the hobo clown also has this great physical acting when he's doing this tale, and he's basically saying, you know, I'll continue the song for a couple more pennies, and then there's a great joke where he sticks his hand through through the hat and shows that all the pennies have fallen through. Yes. So Lucifer begins reading Daniel another fable, another one of my favorites, the scorpion and the frog. Yeah, the scorpion and the frog. And Tamara is continually wooed by the scorpion who straps her to a wheel and then throws knives at her. And there's this really ominous, and I think probably the best line in the entire movie, when she says, how do I know you won't stab me? And he says, because my act is dead without you. Yeah. And that's that's like one of the few moments where I was like, oh, this this might have really good writing. Yeah, I also (laughs) love during the sequence the song Trust Me by the scorpion. Yes. it's such a spectacular villain song where he's just going off like you know you like you can trust me you know i one i won't my... stab you or anything like one for the devil, devil inside so she gets stabbed and dies now the painted doll then retells the fable 
to the carnies through song showing off tamara's body for them prick goes the scorpion yeah prick tail. goes the scorpion's tail another song i love and, the, and just the she the, has such a beautiful voice and the rhymes is like his words put like wine as their fates intertwined yes it's so good <laughs> Now, Lucifer reads one final fable for Daniel, the devil and his due, as John stumbles through a temp in this really great lighting, where it's constantly flashing, yeah. and it's very um, disorienting. The lighting throughout this film really works, in my opinion. It's a lot of theatrical blue-red contrast, and I think it's meant to emulate the kind of colors that are put into theatrical stage plays, you know? Yeah, I can the, see that. Those colored lights. It reminds me so the set design and the and the costuming actually reminds me a lot of the haunted houses we did at college. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> this would not be out of place at the <laughs> at the, it's the the dorm haunted house. And then we get the song Grief which uh, reveals that he had committed suicide. Yeah, this over might be this might be my favorite cuz first of all Satan's singing voice is a thing of beauty. Well, it's Terrence Zudnick, the Ter- uh, the grave digger from Repo. It, yes, exactly, Terrence Zudnick, and just you know the oh, where is your little lost John? John, <laughs> it's so fucking creepy, and it's like you're it drowning in the grief of Jupiter's water. Yeah. It's like, oh my fucking, but like chills, yes. chills up my spine. Goddamn, like. <laughs> So John, distraught over losing his son, claims heaven has abandoned both Daniel and himself. Now John finds Daniel in Lucifer's study, only for Daniel to morph into the fool, a dwarf carny, much to Lucifer's amusement. Oh and John's man, dismay. the Devil's Carnival is such a Batman Beyond Return of the Joker ripoff. <laughs> I mean, jeez. <laughs> so Lucifer taunts John, revealing to him that he is in fact in hell, as he could not let go of his grief. Now John weeps. I am eventually... the ex- yeah. I fucking love. So Terrence Zunick, um, as yeah. we said, is phenomenal as the devil and this scene is probably his best scene when yeah. he's confronting john it's just like you know i've gone by many names it's like but in in your case i am the excuse you give when you cannot follow the rules it's like <laughs> holy and shit. i i feel vindicated for liking saw two three and four <laughs> because after repo and devil's carnival i real i i i i feel like yes Darren Lynn Bowsman is actually a great director. Here's the thing. I, I, you, anyone, you know, we, we've talked about this before. I do not give a single solitary shit about Saul. I've never seen any of them and I don't care about them. I have no interest in watching any of them. But with that said, after I will watch any Darren Lynn Bowsman musical that he makes ever. Like, <laughs> they're all great. Yeah. Make and more of them, please. Yes. Um, and they also get also all get better reviews than his than his horror. They all get better reviews than his horror content also. So why is um, he making more Saw movies instead of more musicals? Well, like, he has to he has to do that to fund his his passion projects. Okay, fine. Like this. By the way, this movie was made for half a million dollars. Yeah, five hundred thousand, which yeah. is very extremely cheap by Hollywood standards. Um, yeah. So Lucifer taunts John, revealing yeah 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 yeah. Now, John weeps, but eventually decides he no longer wants to grieve, and Lucifer sends John to heaven because he's concocted a plan in his song Grace for Sale, which oh, is Grace another one of sale. my favorites. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, it's so fucking good. Um, I was so, talk- Lucifer rallies the carnies and tells them that he plans to offer condemned souls redemption and access to heaven 
to the toy maker's office up in heaven. Now, the ticket keeper informs the carnies that come tomorrow they will wage war with God and his angels. Yeah, we're, pu- we're putting heaven out of business. And I saw that, like, that is so badass. That is amazing. <laughs> and when I found out there was a sequel, I was like, oh my god, yes, I want to see the invasion of heaven. But apparently and that's not what happens in the sequel. And The, the invasion of heaven difficult. happens at the end of Alleluia, the Devil's Carnival. Like, it starts to happen. Oh, but they don't go fully into it. So no. where's Devil's Carnival 3? Make it happen. Well, it looks like they might not make it because of production and copyright issues. Oh, damn it. I know. It sucks. The true but greatest supervillain, legal limbo. Oh. Alleluia, the Devil's Carnival actually deals more with the bureaucracy in heaven. Oh, and it's I'm also now finding out because of Wikipedia there was a post credit scene. Yes, there is. Yeah. Now the uh, the ticket keeper informs them they're putting a heaven out of business. So the carnies excitedly celebrate with Off to Hell We Go. I like that song. Yeah, and this right. is a song that obviously Terrence Zudnick wanted in the film or wanted shown but didn't have a place for. And it's one of the best songs. It's In All My Dreams I Drown. And it is a duet between Terrence Zudnick and a woman. And basically the lyrics go... The lyrics tell a story about a sailor and a sailor maid and the maid is just like saying i'll scrub the floors i will do all this stuff just to be with you and in all my dreams i drown yeah and it is such a beautiful song and damn i'm gonna have to listen to that song yes it is so good uh so chris what did you think of the devil's carnival this movie is fucking amazing oh (laughs) yes it is yeah, it's I love the, awesome. the whole cast, the costume design, the whole soundtrack fucking slaps. I will say the one, th- like, um, basically this movie can be summarized as what happens when the theater kids have to collaborate with the goth kids. And yeah. And I love it. I guess the only thing is, I wish there was more, because this is, it's extremely short. It is. It's 56 it's minutes. It's less than an hour. Right. So, I, it feels like, yeah, I wish there was a little more there is my yeah. only thing. But other than that, mwah, mwah, beautiful. Well, I think the sequel is, um, hold on a second. Okay. Yeah, the sequel is longer. It's 98 minutes. Okay, that, that is something to look forward to. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, the Devil's Carnival is one of those, it, it is actually kind of divisive among people because it has extremely low production quality. Yeah. It looks it's, very it's cheap. extremely cheap. Like I said, these costumes would not be out of place at the, at the haunted houses we, houses we did at our dorm in college. So... But where it makes up for what it lacks in budget, it makes up for in creativity, a great cast. Holy shit, David Hasselhoff is in the sequel. Um, well, what?! Yes, uh, and shit. just oh. m- amazing songs, like yeah. songs that just get stuck in your head that you want to listen to over and over again, and thank God the soundtrack is on Spotify, because I listen to it a lot. It's honestly one of my favorite musicals. As someone that's not a huge fan of traditional musicals, The Devil's Carnival is really good. It should be mentioned in the same breath as other horror musicals, such as Rocky Horror and, Pet Sh- and Little Pet Shop of Horrors, and Little also of horrors. Repo. Yeah. <laughs> Also done by Darren Lynn Bowsman. Yes. And it's just an awesome fucking movie. 
and you should all watch it. And it's on Prime Video. Yeah, so it's on, you have it's no on reason Pri- not to. I think both it and the sequel are on Prime. Yeah, so. it's 56 minutes. No reason not to watch it. Go yeah. fucking watch go, it. Go watch it. Go watch the when you when you're done listening to the well, actually maybe you should watch it before this because we spoiled the whole thing. But That's right. <laughs> go watch um, the movie. <laughs> absolutely. So, what we do at the end of every roulette episode, and I can't believe it's the end. It's only 38 minutes because yeah, this the is... sum total of the two films we watched were only 2 hours. Yeah, this is easily the shortest episode we've ever done. <laughs> yeah. What we do at the end of every episode is we spin the wheel. And then I ask you if you want to veto the movie or not. Okay, so that's what we're going to do right now. Okay. All right, let's generate a number. All right, we got number 10. The incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Um, well, I know you've told me that this is uh, very, very bad. It's one of the worst films of all time. <laughs> it is directed by Cash Flag. That is not his real name. <laughs> Of course it isn't. Um, His real name is Ray Dennis Steckler, if I remember correctly. um, So I'm going to veto that. Let's get another option. Okay. Apparently you don't want to watch one of the worst films ever made. (laughs) Yeah. That leads us to number 68. Number 68 is Child's Play 2. And we have a mandatory viewing moment. We have a mandatory Child's Play 2. Which I actually think is better than the first one. Hot take. Uh, Hot take. That's kind of a hot take. Well, we'll see if I agree with you. Um. All right, so Child's Play 2 is on the books, so now we will roll again. And we got number 100, The Devil's Carnival, Alleluia. Oh my god, we got two mandatory viewings and one of And they're both good. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Woo So, Chris, what are we going to be doing next week? All right, so, well, all right, so that roulette will be two weeks from now for Child's Play 2 and Alleluia, The Devil's Carnival. Um, next week, we will be taking a look at the year ahead as we discuss the most anticipate our most anticipated movies of 2021. So that should mm. be a fun time. Um, fine. Okay. So anyway, this has been Hipster and the Nerd. We do this every week. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a whole bunch of other platforms. Uh, please leave us a nice five-star review on apple podcast spread the word on social media share it with all your friends hashtag hipster and the nerd help us grow the show we very much appreciate it uh i am chris hannah you can find me at mega nerd 98 on letterbox on twitter and on letterboxd uh and brian where can they find you oh my god a dimensional portal has just opened up oh my god let me see what's inside chris I'm in hell. Oh my god! And it's a carnival. Oh my god! And everybody's going to invade heaven right now, so I'm just going to relax <laughs> in like one of the one of the tents and hope nobody finds me. Holy okay. shit. Actually, wait, can I go throughout the dimensional wormhole again? No, I can't. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, I'm just going to stay here in hell then and hope nobody sees me. Oh, shit. Oh, look, a TV. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> Neat. It has internet connection. Very nice. <laughs> Anyways, you can find me at vbreck2 on Letterboxd. I've recently discovered that my new favorite movie is five and a half hours long. And also, you can find me at Twitter at Brian Brecker. Oh my god. Uh, Napoleon. No. Napoleon. No. Anyways, thank you everybody. Oh my god, Napoleon's in hell. (laughs) Because he was a dictator and he did very bad things. Yes. Uh
Anyways, uh, thank you everybody for listening. We will see you next time. I haven't the least idea in the world. We've come to ask for shelter. We've lost our way. What is it? What do they want? They want to know if they can stay here for the night. My sister Rachel had this room once. She died when she was 21. There's no law of visitor has made They'll approve a host of mankind. Amen. Whose life? I suppose it's a store. Here we are, six people sitting around. What do we know about each other? Not a thing. I've got a funny feeling something dreadful might happen to us. You don't seem to understand. We may be cut off, shut up in this house. There's a madman upstairs. You shouldn't have come here. You see, it may be dangerous. Oh, Philip, not something else horrible. You're afraid, aren't you? You don't believe in God, and yet you're afraid to die. Lanterns down, but I don't want to go to sleep. In all my dreams, I drown. The sky is fast, he's holy, holy. His pillow dulls to the brink. The curtains ran between my legs as we began to sink. I closed my eyes, he's holy, holy, as the ship was rent and fell. Eddie's in the water, headed to the mouth of hell.